you think you've got problems with the New York streets, right? You know, with all those... <laughs> with all those clunks and bangs and stuff. Listen to this one. Alfred Silcox and his wife were driving home. This is in Wales, of all places. When their automobile stopped with a bump and immediately sank into a gigantic pothole. Their car was swallowed up by a pothole that was over 17 feet deep. <laughs> what a pothole. Oh, man. I'm sorry, you know, I mean, it's a, so if you think it's just falling apart here in New York, or if you just think it's an American, you imagine in Wales, a pothole so big that the car was swallowed up, and they had to call the fire department to pull the people out. If that happened in Brooklyn, they would demand the mayor's immediate uh, impeachment. Now, here, excuse me, one minute here before we go into tonight's uh, tirade. Would you please uh, set that the one up on the other side? Did you have it, the, the one I sang with? I have a little uh, special thing I want to do here. Hey, uh, you know, speaking of uh, special things, um, no, I'm going to keep that. I got, I got to do that. I'm going to save that one for a later zinger here. Uh, you know, later thing. Uh, I have a, a <laughs> hey, you know, a friend of mine had a, had a terrible thing happen to him the other day. Speaking of zingers, I'll tell you, the machines are going to get all of us. For a long time, I used to laugh at this idea, you know, that uh, that uh, that the uh, computers were going to be the death of us all. Yeah, you know, there's been plays like that all the time. In fact, the first anti-computer play that was ever written was what? Very famous play. Do any of you know it? No, it was not Virginia Woolf. What was the first anti-computer play? Although that lady was something like... What was it? Hmm? Pick it up there. I'll see whether whether you're right. Pick up the phone. Which one can you get? Which one? Which number? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, what? Uh, that's close, but not quite. That was very good. Not quite. Uh, Metropolis, you're very close. Uh, also, there was another, uh, of course, the famous... Uh, the, what was the famous uh, anti-machine uh, movie that Charlie Chaplin made? Correct, Modern Times. But uh, there, was, there were things long before that. What were they? A very famous play written by a very famous American playwright, as a matter of fact. What was that? was written before the days of Chaplin's modern times. What was it? <laughs> In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I was approached with the uh, idea Some one of the producers was doing it, and he wanted me to play a character in it. I'll give you a clue. Yeah, that's right. I'll give you... It won't play? How come? You played it before. The other side? Okay, we only played a good side then. But... Uh, Speaking of machines undoing us all, there's an example. But uh, I'll give you a clue, Jerry. Here's a clue. The play that I'm talking about, all the characters had as their names, instead of being Mr. Smith or uh, Hamlet, the names were numbers. Their names were numbers. That was their names. And, in fact, it was given even in the program, uh, various numbers played by different people, you know, the actors. But uh, the characters were... And I'll even give you a further clue as to the the, uh, the the play. The hero of the play, or the victim of the play, whichever you want to call it, was... Uh, his number was zero. 
and he was referred to always as Mr. Zero or Zero. And his wife was called Mrs. Zero. And uh, all the other characters had nine, eight, seven, three. <laughs> and, uh, and so do you have any, do you have any, uh, any, does that give you any help? And it's, it's a fascinating, surreal play. I mean, the settings were wild. I'll give you another clue. There was a scene when, when Mr. Zero is finally in hell. And uh, he, is he has died, and he is in this room. It looks like you're, you're visiting him now in hell, and he's in this room. <laughs> and, and he's surrounded by endless strips, endless strips, just completely inundating him. And uh, he's working away at these, these figures, which this machine is giving him. It's a machine giving out numbers. And he's working away with these numbers, whatever it is, endlessly throughout his entire stay in hell, which is eternity. And he's got these enormous strips of paper that are coming out of this machine with numbers. And the entire room is filled with, with this paper. And there he is in the middle of it, working away. And uh, you know that throughout all eternity, he is going to be surrounded by this fantastic uh, uh, machine, which is going to belch continually numbers, meaningless numbers, just endless numbers, which he has to collate or some damn thing. What was the name of the play? Well, there were two plays. So, uh, you know, that, that's no, no importance. But uh, this friend of mine got tripped up by the machine the other day. You know how, how in New York State, uh, if you do not, if you do not uh, pay your fines, you know, as a, as a tr driver, tickets and stuff, you don't pay your fine, what happens now? Well, there is a big machine in the sky, friends, that when the time comes for you to renew your, your license plate, you know, you get this little thing in the mail that you got to send to Albany and all that. He thought that he was waiting for his renewal. And he rushes down to the, to the uh, mailbox one day, and he gets this long brown envelope. And instead of in it was the, was the thing for renewal, it was a blue card. And it said, sir, <laughs> it says, dear Scofflaw, is what it actually said. Dear Fink, uh, the machine has, uh, has uh, now completed its uh, investigation. And the moving finger, once having ripped, ne'er shall return. And that uh, we have discovered that uh, there are numerous violations against you, and you either pay up, friend, or you just won't be driving your car. If you do, you'll be driving it on 1972 plates. And in, in addition to that, if we, if we catch you doing that, it's going to be another big violation, and then we may just put you in a slammer for a while. Any questions? Well, he was stunned. S-T-U-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-
President, jo President Judge John Patrick Walsh said he was waiting to run his car through the car wash at Broad Street and Godfrey Avenue. He's sitting there in line. You know, you've gone to these car washes, okay? You've gone to these car washes, and the judge is sitting there in his car waiting, see? And, you know, there's a long line of cars. When he noticed the driver in front of him leave his car and toss a whole batch of uh, look like waste material into a trash can right there next to the car wash. You know, when a guy gets his car wash, he generally brushes it out, you know, and throws away the old paper cups on the floor. You do this, you know. And so the guy threw away what looked like a lot of waste paper. And, and quote, my God, that looks like a batch of traffic tickets, Walsh said to himself. Sure enough, when the material was recovered from the receptacle, there were 37 tickets, including 34 for parking in the city, two for failing to have the car inspected, and one issued by the town of Jenkintown. And to quote the judge, well, one was even issued Monday night for having the vehicle inspected, the judge said. And by the time they recovered this, this guy had driven away. All he had was 37 tickets piled up in the wastebasket. So Walsh goes back to the office and has him checked with Harrisburg, which is the state capital. That's like our Albany, you know. He checks with Harrisburg, and they came up with a name. Judge Waltz said that the guy was driving a VW when he saw him in the traffic line. And he said, sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, the Volkswagen was registered in Harrisburg. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the guy's name. However, the resident said that he was not at the car wash Wednesday, does not own a Volkswagen, and has his car in storage. He said he didn't remember his registration number. And this is the greatest, grooviest judge. Listen to this judge. I'd like to meet this judge. Listen to what he says. Who the hell does he think he's kidding? <laughs> Quote, we got the teletype back from Harrisburg, and it's this guy, and it's this guy's name. I saw him throw the stuff into the garbage can. <laughs> now, that's called chutzpah in New York, you know. Caught red-handed by the judge throwing your traffic tickets when I say, Who, me? Who, me? No, oh, not me. Uh, I wasn't even there. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's, 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 uh, that's, an, uh, that's an American uh, trick these days, you know. Don't admit anything, which, uh, <laughs> even if you're caught there, you know, the gun in your hand, the smoke coming out of it, four guys dead, you say, What? I never had a gun in my hand before. You guys, what's that? Oh, is this a gun? I didn't even know this was a gun. This is not a gun. This is a cigarette lighter. Deny everything. I mean, and believe me, it'll go to the Supreme Court. Once again, we tap that great big barrel of money in the corner there. Hit the button. I don't know what your dream is, but if it's about a new life, I'd like to share a dream with you. It's a little 60 by 40 foot grocery store. A man by the name of Thompson had that dream close to 50 years ago. You know what the dream did? It turned into almost 5,000 stores. 7-Eleven convenience stores strung across the country like lights on a Christmas tree. 7-Eleven stores are a way of life for most people, and we have franchises open in this area. They'll be run by people like you and your wife and families, people like you who have a dream about a new life. No, you don't need experience. Yes, we'll train you. What you do need is a dream and a telephone. Call us. We'll send you a bundle of things that will explain it all, and then when you're ready, we'll talk. In New York, call area 516-781-2711. 516-781-2711. In New Jersey, call 201-843-3006. 201-843-3006.
Oh, yeah, here's one of our little uh, general tire goodies. Hey, if you need tires, I would suggest that you see the men at your local general tire headquarters because these guys are trained to handle all of your tire and automotive service needs quickly and more than that, economically. And by the way, they make all of, they make the tires you need, all kinds of uh, interesting sizes and at prices that you can afford. Now, you can choose rayon, nylon, polyester cord, glass-belted new car tires, glass steel-belted radial tires. Got them all. And uh, you can see all these great uh, sets of rubber down at your big red General Tire G, the General Tire headquarters. And in the Bronx, I would suggest you see Murray Lester or Sam Ayala at Bronx General Tire, 579 Grand Concourse, Generals. Uh, you know, hey, speaking of uh, of curious American attitudes, uh, you know, that uh, America is suddenly discovering its pop past. I mean, it's pop past. I have a theory, uh, and, and, you know, Shepard's always good for a lot of boring theories, but uh, I have this, this theory after watching television late at night, there's, there must be 7,000 commercials an hour on TV at night for uh, golden oldie hits. You know, the best of Blue Baron. For all of you Blue Baron fans out there, these great songs which will live forever, now made available for the first time. You've seen those things. Millions of them. Who the hell buys this stuff? I mean, who are, there must be millions. It's all over the country. If you think it's New York, I travel a lot, and every place you go, every time you turn on the TV, there's chubby checkers <laughs> selling his old clinkers. And uh, this, this is fascinating. So there must be somebody buying this stuff. Well, I have a theory that it's going to continue to go backwards in time. Have you noticed it's going backwards, backwards now? It, it started out, uh, you know, and now the old and goldie Beatle hits. You remember that was the beginning of it. Well, that was only a couple of years ago, the Beatles, see? Now it's creeping back, inch by inch. They're, they're, they're going back. It's like reliving all of the, the whole history of the, of, the, uh, of the totally perishable pop world of whatever time it was. And so the other day, here I am. See, I'm going to get on the ground floor to see. So the other day, I'm down on 4th Street. Uh, actually, 4th Avenue, excuse me. Down on 4th Avenue. You know the used book section down there, 4th Avenue? There's a lot of great old uh, stores down there where you can buy old used books. Have you seen that? You've ever been down there? Warehouses all full of this stuff. See, I love to go down there. And uh, I'm messing around in this warehouse, see, and uh, looking at all this junk used books, and I see a bushel basket there, see, full of what looks like a whole lot of old, rotten-looking trash. Uh, that, uh, remind. this is W.O.R. New York. Hey, guess who was in here yesterday? Louis Travisher. Yeah, old Louis comes in, and he orders up a Ballantine like always, and like always, he's got troubles. Seems his wife's mad, because Louis forgot their anniversary, and she's hidden his hunting boots. Won't give them back. And Louis's all set for a big hunting trip. So I say, Louie, here's what you got to do. Your wife's mad. You got to take her a nice present, like a case of Valentine beer. And he says, Connor, that's the worst idea I ever heard in my life. And I say, no, 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 wait, look. Valentine stands for purity, body, and flavor, right? The three rings. And there's two more rings than you gave her when you got married. So Louie takes her a case of Valentine beer. Well, I guess it didn't work out just right, because Louie's wife got madder than ever and threw Louie's hunting boots out of the kitchen window with Louie in them. Some world, huh? Yeah. Let me get you another valentine. On the house. 
No, it's a mysterious, inscrutable uh, House of Chan time here. And uh, for those of you who uh, dig good Oriental food, and I mean really good Oriental food, I'd like to suggest that you uh, uh, visit the House of Chan. For those of you who don't know where it is, it's at 7th Avenue and 52nd Street, although it would be hard for me to imagine anybody who doesn't know where the House of Chan is. That's like not knowing where uh, Rockefeller Center is. Uh, they've been around for 35 years. The food is great. And there is a Mr. Chan, by the way. And his name, unfortunately, is not Charlie. But it uh, <laughs> would be kind of great if it was. But uh, uh, House of Chan is open seven days a week, which is kind of nice to know. They have a bar, which helps many of you uh, get through the day. They have uh, superb food, and the prices are right. And they've been around, as I said, for 35 years, so they must be doing it pretty well. House of Chan, 7th Avenue at 52nd Street, seven days a week. Try it before the theater. And now we have, it says, reading the French accent. Do I have a, a one full minute here? One. If you like to enjoy the French wines with your meals, but think it's too complicated and too expensive, you should think again. It says, pronounce shink again. All you have to remember about French wine is one name, Alexis Lachine. The Alexis Lachine Company selects the right wines, the reds, the whites, the rosés, and they are poured then into gracious, curvaceous, distinctive bottles to grace your elegant table in Queens and Flushing. So, I would like to suggest that you pick a bottle of magnificent Alexis Lachine wine. It's imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. And now, their little ding-dong. Uh, I'm looking at this this trash there, see, and I see in the trash it's a it, what it really is is a bunch of old shoes, but it's laced. Not only are there old shoes in this pile of junk, but it's laced with. Uh, a lot of other stuff that's in there, and I see among them is a lot of old records. I mean, really old records. I mean, fat, old, rotten 78s. You know, the kind of, you know, old 78s. And uh, there they are. There's a whole stack of them. They're dust all over them, see. And uh, they were uh, they were still in their jackets. These little flimsy jackets with that dog hollering into the horn. It says his master's voice. You seen that stuff? You know, Columbia standing with a big flag. Columbia, the gem of the ocean. And, uh... I started to look at these things, and so I said, Aha. Ah, you know, I'll, I'll pick up some of these things, and I bought it for four cents. Well, I can assure you that, uh, that since we are now going back into ancient crud, you know, people are buying all kinds of rotten stuff and calling it camp or whatever they call it. They don't call it camp anymore, but they call it whatever they call it, the um, memorabilia. or uh, It's not even memorabilia because the people who buy this stuff don't remember any of that stuff. Anybody who buys Tiffany lamps and calls it memorabilia. Tiffany worked in the 1800s. How can it be memorabilia, you know? It's not memorabilia. Memorabilia is something you actually remember. So if, you know, if you're, if you're going on and you buy yourself a, you know, a, a 1910 uh, Edison wind-up phonograph, that's not memorabilia. I mean, it's a borderline antique, but it ain't memorabilia. <laughs> so anyway, I'm looking, you know, at this stuff, and I says, hey, they haven't done this yet. There will be a day, and I'm predicting it, when people will collect not great classic 78s. Um, you know, people always have done this, you know, classic jazz 78s, 
great classic uh, performances by Bessie Smith or by Bix Beiderbecke. Uh, you know, people will even collect the, the 28. By the way, the one that will be worth the least of all in the collector's market, ultimately, are records of Enrico Caruso. Caruso must have made 12 trillion records, and everybody who got them apparently saved them. And so everybody's got a collection of, uh, every old character has got a collection of old Caruso records. But uh, there will be a day when people will be scurrying around trying to buy old records of bad records. I mean, talking about the real old bad stuff, not the classic stuff. Have you noticed that today people are buying uh, frantically uh, uh, comic books, we'll say, of the 50s? They're expensive now, you know, comic book of the 50s. So for about, you know, a quarter or something like that at the time. They're not out buying the, the, uh, the real literature of the 50s. You don't see anybody, you know, lining up to buy uh, copies of uh, great classic copies of uh, the Atlantic Monthly of 1952. They're buying uh, comics books, which, which are really the, the, the lowest class of literature. So there will be a day when people will, will be looking for bad records, I think, bad 78s. And uh, so I pulled this one out. I bought a couple of other. Come on, don't worry about it. You don't try to cue it up. Can I give you a tip? Don't try to cue it up. That's why you're getting all balled up in there. Just start the motor. Okay, got the motor started? Is it going? All right, start the motor before you put it on. Start the motor. As an old retired engineer, I'll give you some tips. Start the motor. You got it going? There, fine. Now bring it in. Now, this is the 78 that I picked up in this uh, this bushel basket. <laughs> and it must have been a rotten record at the time it was made. I mean, obviously, this was not going to set the world on fire. Bring it up now. Just bring it up. I mean, isn't that great? Listen to that. Now, that's as much, I say, as much a period piece as anybody's Tiffany lamp or uh, anybody's, uh, you know, anybody's uh, treadle-operated sewing machine that he paid $700 for as a collector's item. Listen to this. And it's live. You know, you can have a whole, you can have a whole collection of this stuff and just bug the hell out of your friends by playing this stuff, you know. It's coming out from mysterious corners of your room, see. And you say to your friends, uh, oh, it's George and Martha. Hey, uh, how about a martini? Anybody here for a little drinky poo, huh? How about a drinky poo before we sit down to, to you know, get into our usual argument about Ed Crane pulling the mess? How about the drinky poo? You like yours with ice, huh? Okay. Or you want it straight up? Okay, here you go, Martha. And all the while, this stuff is playing, see? <laughs> That great, listen. Listen to that trumpet in the back. That's the real thing, boy. Now, don't don't immediately. Uh, uh, one word of advice: Do not send me a a. A letter telling me you have a great collection of records in your basement, and would you like to buy them? No, I don't want to buy them. I am not interested in your old records, so please don't write that letter. Ain't 
ain't nothing you got that can cut this, friend. Can't you see your friends, George and Martha, sitting there drinking their martinis, you know? And you've got this very hip-looking vinyl furniture in your place, and it's all vinyl and glass, chrome light bulbs hanging down. And from some mysterious place is coming this. this is as totally lugubrious. Isn't that a great word for it? It's lugubrious. Can you imagine the day when this was called a really swinging band? I mean, it catches a whole era. I mean, can't you see these tall, thin people wearing long black gowns dancing at a place called the Persian Room? <laughs> Hold it there. Okay. Now, I want you to turn that over. And before you do that, would you... Would you get on the phone and tell me the name of that band? I have forgotten it. Just give me the name of the band. George what? Uh, your phone is cut off. Yeah, but doesn't it say anything else? Doesn't it just says his, uh, doesn't he have a name of his orchestra? That's better. That's the name of the band. Now you're reading, uh, it's the California Ramblers. Just played that great piece, the California Ramblers. What was the name of the piece, by the way? That was Georgia Rose, <laughs> played by the California Ramblers. Now, wait, now turn it over, and you will see why I picked up this record. Again, it's the California Ramblers, that unforgettable group, uh, which uh, are not in any catalog anywhere, as far as I know. They're certainly not a jazz group. And that's uh, a very elegant dance band. I don't even know what year it is, but it's so long ago that this is a mechanical recording, obviously. And it's on a sort of a terracotta-colored record. And the, the record label... What is the label, by the way? Uh, excuse me. What the, what the company made it? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the company here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Vocalion. Now, that's a great name for a record company. Vocalion. And uh, the other side, uh, I think, uh, I think has, a, has its own panache. And you can see why I picked it up. I immediately bought it because this, this is a great record. I've played it a couple of times in the past on the show, but I never told you what it was. And this was culled out of a, out of a bushel basket with old shoes and roller skates and pieces of string and busted clothespins in a bookstore down on 4th Avenue in the lower man part of Manhattan, down around 14th Street. Here we go. Oh, this is great. This is the California Ramblers. Really getting into one. I can just see the bit in their teeth. This is pure Theta Barra. This must have been made about the time of World War One, Roughly. Does anybody out there have any information on the group called the California Ramblers? 1921, we just got the information. Well, that is about that. That's only a couple of years after World War I. Let's see, the World War I ended when? 1918? 
Yeah, well, that would be three years after the end of World War One, 1921. They didn't have talking movies or anything then. This was strictly, uh, strictly uh, mechanical reproduction. Boy, listen to this. Great section work. Hear that banjo? That's a banjo. Hear the banjo? The banjo provided the rhythm for that band. Listen. Well, that's a little wild. It was built into the record, apparently. It couldn't be our equipment, could it? No, of course not. Seems to be losing steam. That must be our machine. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Talk about camp, jeez. Hey, they're running out of gas, you guys. The California Ramblers ain't rambling so good. Yes, your love belongs to me. At night when you're Oh, fantastic. I mean, my God, I mean, can you see the day now when, when somebody gets a whole lot of these rotten records like this and puts them into a seven, you know, re-records re them, copies them into seven, seven magic LPs uh, and sells them on late-night television? Well, what do you think they're doing with Chubby Checker's records? I mean, you can hardly wait to buy a 1952 Jerry Lee Lewis, you know. <laughs> and I'd say this is better than they are. Oh, I'm the sheik of air. All right, now that's not the that's not the all either. Uh, I I uh, it's 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 going in all fields now. 
course, uh, you know, the idea of, of, of getting, you know, collector's item cars is an old story, right? You know, people have been collecting, you know, 1913 uh, Maxwells and stuff for a long time. That's a, that's a whole, uh, a whole thing. But do you know that, that right now, the, the fastest growing collector's item, 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 is the cars of uh, what could be called roughly uh, our contemporary cars are being collected now. But cars that no longer are in existence. In other words, cars that are not uh, 100 years old, but they have disappeared from the scene. For example, uh, one of the great collector's items today, or at least uh, there's a lot of guys collecting them, are Hudson's. Well, now, when was the last Hudson made? Any of you know? It's not that old. Do you know? All right, how about the last Nash? How about the last uh, Studebaker? Now, that's only a couple of years ago. Studebaker went out of business about two or three years back, maybe four years ago. And uh, already they're, you know, because they don't make them, see, they're becoming, they're becoming, well, listen, if you want to hear a real bad story, listen to this. Well-preserved 19... 51 DeSotos in perfect running condition. Now think, here, listen to what I'm saying. Well-preserved 1951 DeSotos in perfect running condition, rustless, dentless, and still going strong with only 38,000 mile, 38, miles of wear are rare. You agree that 38,000 miles is quite rare for a 51 a 51 DeSoto. Absolutely no rust and dentless. In other words, mint condition, damn near. Right? That's rare. Okay. Poor George Grindle of Tacoma Park, Maryland, left just such a DeSoto. He had a beautiful DeSoto. Now, are you following this story, gang? Are you, are you a little confused in there? Do you know what I'm, I'm talking about? No, you don't. I'll have to repeat it. Uh, this guy had a 19... <laughs> I, I can always tell when there's a blank look. Uh, 1951 DeSoto, which, of course, is not made any longer, uh, in perfect running condition. Now, don't bother the, the crew in Arrow. You don't do that. In perfect running condition, with no dents and no spots. Now, you realize what a fantastic piece of, of, uh, of uh, collector's item that is. After all, this is 73... Uh, that car is how many years old now? That car is 23 years old because a, a, a 30, a, a 51 came out in 50. The cars usually come out a year before their year, see? So that car is 23 years old, 38,000 miles. Okay, now you haven't heard the sad story. George Grindle of Tacoma Park, Maryland, had this car. It was his pride and joy. It was a gift from his father who had bought it new and he got old, and he decided to give it to this, his son, see? He left it at a, per, at a repair garage to have its transmission checked, just the grease in it, see? Nothing wrong with it. You know, they grease transmissions. He wanted them to check it, see? From there, it vanished, mysteriously. Two weeks later, Grindle has given up searching for the remains of his car among piles of shredded metal and chrome in a wrecking yard where it was towed, courtesy of the Tacoma Park Police. Grindle had parked his car across the street from the garage. 
when the DeSoto was ticketed with a warning that it must be moved within 48 hours, subject to towing. You know, we get this in town. You know, they put it on to either get it out of here in two days or we'll tow it away. The garage owner quickly pulled it into his lot. A police officer, however, already had notified Wreckers. He's already notified Wreckers that Grindle's car, although tagged and inspected, it's a perfectly legal car, <laughs> and, and, and incidentally, is a member of the American Automobile Association bumper sticker, he had notified the garage that it was abandoned and, and should be junked because it was such an old car. I figured, you know, here's... What a drag. The DeSoto arrived at the Wreckers record show. They, it had actually arrived at the records, the record show, and they sent it through the grinder. That's the question. Who's responsible for it? Because it will never, nobody knows. It sent it through the grinder. And they're not really quite sure, because all the cars that go to this place are sent through the grinder, but nobody remembers at this grinding place, they don't remember doing it, uh, and because they get a hundred of them a day, see, uh, <laughs> was it mashed into oblivion? Nobody knows. Or is it sitting in some unlikely spot, alive and well? Grindle's lawyer says that this that the DeSoto is or was an antique car. That's quite true, uh, and that was treated with loving quote loving kindness by Grindle. The lawyer wants the car or payment of substantial damages from somebody. It is gone. What a fantastic story. Now, a car like that, that would be like somebody, you know, coming in and they see your Tiffany lamp. You know, you got a Tiffany lamp, right? Uh, a genuine Tiffany lamp. And uh, it's uh, from 1896. And there it is hanging in your house. Some guy comes in and says, oh, um, you know, uh, let's uh, redo this apartment for him while he's gone, you know, to kind of give him a... A lift, you know, the, your your landlord. He says, "We'll get rid of this old fixture here. We'll throw this out, bust it up, and uh, let's get rid of that old uh, sofa over there. That old sofa there. And of course, it's your 1791 Chippendale." He says, "We'll get that damn thing thrown out. Burn it up. Uh, I'll burn it out in the back." Oh my God! You come back, you know, and they've got this new set of Macy's furniture in your house, and you're willing to kill yourself. Well, now. Here was this guy. As a matter of fact, if you think that that is is not, you know, that's not a collector's item. I happen to be into into antique cars a great deal. And the other, the last major car rally that I was involved in uh, was down in, in a place called Marco Island, Florida. And they have a lot of fantastic cars down there. I mean, like 1928 uh, Cadillacs, completely restored, 1930 uh, Fords, and all, all these great, you know, cars you'd know are fantastic. What do you think was the... What do you think was the absolute smash of the show, though? I mean, people were just flipping. What do you think was the smash of that show? There must have been $12 million worth of true antique cars. The smash of the show, absolute smash. In fact, he got a special cup for it. Well, you won't, you won't guess. No way. A guy had a 1949 Chrysler. And you'd say a 49 Chrysler, you can get those out on the used car lot in Queens. Oh, yeah? Not this kind. It was a 49 Chrysler that had eight authentic 8,000 miles on it. And everything in it was the like the exact day that it came from the factory in 1949, including the radio, the radio knobs. He had, uh, he had the instructor's manual, instruction, you know, book. Uh, he even had the, the warranty 
slips, which had, by the way, never been sent in. He had the warrant. He had everything, just like if you were to buy a brand new 1949 a Chrysler, I guess it was a Newport or something. I don't know what, what they called it, but it was a Chrysler four-door. And it was in a curious color. Uh, the guy who bought it decided he was going to go all out, see, in 49. And apparently in 1949, they had very different ideas about color than they have now. Because this color, the car was a strange two-tone. They used to have a lot of two-tone cars. And this was a curious sort of a purple grape car. <laughs> was purple-colored grape-like. And the top of it, it was a hard top, it was a four-door, the top of it was a strange kind of gold yellow. And that was considered, you know, very, very uh, expensive. He got the actually, uh, you know, the, the, the deluxe paint job on it. And so here is this car. It's got 8,000 miles. So obviously it had the original tires on it. Well, not only did it have the original tires, it was more than that. This guy who bought it originally, you know, he went all out. He said, what the hell, you can't take it with you. You might as well go all the way. And he had... Uh, he had, of all things, he had white wall tires, except they were not white wall. Did you know that back in that period, in the, in the late 40s, there was this quick and sudden fad, a, a fad of color white uh, tires, where you could get colored wall tires, not just white wall, but you got colored tires that matched your car. So he had this car, <laughs> and it had yellow walls on it. The the, the we you know the the, the it, w instead of the white stripe, it was yellow that matched the top of the car. What a fantastic uh, combination! And uh, inside, of course, the the uh, uh, the uh, upholstery was this thick, uh, really rich mohair. They didn't use naugahyde or plastic or you know all this uh, artificial ding dong. It was really thick mohair. And when you when you get inside this car, I was inside. We were messing around with it, closing the doors. It was like being in an overstuffed couch. I mean, the whole thing was just billowing and very solid, tremendous. And he and the guy who bought it originally had decided since he's going all out, he might as well get the deluxe steering wheel. And did you know that the, in that year you could get a steering wheel that was a flexible wheel? It had uh, four spokes, but they were flexible. Uh, that was very considered apparently very very uh, tremendous uh, accessory. But it was flexible, but the wheel was a thin wheel, and it was made out of, out of imitation ivory. It was a white ivory wheel. And uh, all the fittings inside the car matched that. The, the knobs on the radio dial were this ivory, this imitation ivory. And uh, the, the uh, door handles were all in ivory. See, and this guy had this fantastic car. Well, when he, he drove it in, of course, everybody was flipping because... Uh, this was a car in original condition. It was not restored. This was the actual car. It was not restored. And uh, so he, got, he won all kinds of awards for this fantastic car. Well, everybody was running around looking at it. Even the guys that owned, you know, 1927 uh, Apperson Jackrabbits, really rare car. Because this was rarer in its own way. It had never been restored. And since World War II, of course, people put a lot more miles on their cars than they ever did prior to World War II with all the big turnpike driving and all. This guy had 8,000 miles. Guys couldn't believe it. And he had an he had a, a notarized certificate, absolutely legally notarized, from the man that he bought it from, that, that this car had 8,000 miles on it. He personally would, would attest to that legally, swear to it, and that he had owned this car from the day it was new, and at no point was anything changed on it, nor was the speedometer changed. He had a legal document with it. And I said, how the hell did this guy have this car? And I asked him. 
Swinney's a funny guy. He said the guy the guy bought the car, and uh, he drove it a, a little bit. He lives up in Michigan someplace a couple of years. And then he got mad one day. He's out, out driving, and there was a traffic jam, and he got mad, and he says, the hell with it. I'm not, uh, this driving is getting me out, driving me out of my bird. Drove his car back and never drove again. He does not believe in driving anymore, but he had a car, which he kept absolutely spotless in his heated concrete garage. And so he says, I found out about this car. So I went down and bought it from him. He says, look at it. You can't believe it. And there it is. Absolutely magnificent. Get in the car, and here's the eerie part of it. You realize, of course, that an 8,000-mile car is still a new car. And it smells new inside. Talk about a great collector's item. <laughs> oh, and, he, and by the way, the guy that drove it, drove it all the way in here, you know, he says it drives better than his, own, his new. He's got a 72 car. He says, man, this 49 Chrysler cuts it all going away. Says, what a machine. Speaking machine. Well, the WR New York, your station for news as it happens. The latest news in detail from the WR Newsroom, Lester Smith reporting.